Hey, my name is Chelsea and I'm a time management and productivity coach. My goal is to help you go from overwhelmed to under control without a strict schedule or a bunch of productivity hacks. Each week, we'll talk about productivity mindset, actionable advice, my favorite resources, and you'll hear from guests just like you who are maximizing their limited resources. If you're anything like me, you're listening to this on the go, so check out the show notes and follow me on Instagram at Chelsea N Coaching to learn more. Okay, let's get to this week's episode. Hi, everyone. So today I am so excited to be welcoming Maria DiLorenzo. She is the founder and CEO of MFD Style, a Boston-based wardrobe consulting business. And so for the last 15 years, she has educated and guided those who seek to make a stronger connection between their self-presentation and self-love with her intuitive styling approach. And she has helped hundreds transform into the best versions of themselves by leveraging their wardrobe and reflecting this insight. After nearly 20 years of leading a wide variety of public gatherings, workshops, seminars, webinars, and training in both nonprofit and corporate setting, she now speaks about the intersection of psychology, spirituality, and style in her podcast, Above and Beyond Style. She holds a bachelor's in psychology from Loyola University, New Orleans, and a master's in pastoral ministry from Boston College. Marie and I also used to work together, and I was inspired by her journey to full-time entrepreneurship. And we shout often for advice and pep talks. I've also hired Maria as a stylist and absolutely loved the experience. So thank you so much for joining us today. Chelsea, it is such a pleasure and I'm very honored you asked me to be with you. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. And I know I just read this amazing bio about what you do and and how you do it, but I'd love to hear in your own words a little bit more of the journey that got you into being a personal stylist and owning your own business. Well, it is a fun little story, so thank you. I'll try to spare you too many details, but it's definitely been kind of a non-linear story, as I think many entrepreneurs can relate to. So I grew up in Irving, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, and was always exposed, I think, because of Dallas being kind of a, a mecca in some ways for shopping and style was very much a part of kind of the ether of where I was and what I got to see and know. And, you know, I always had kind of an interest. It wasn't anything that I was super passionate about from an early age, but I can remember even young, like my mom and I going to stores and she would say, come on, let's go wandering. And we would go and we'd like pop around all the little retail stores and get inspiration from the mannequins. And so I think there was a lot of like, subtle influence there about just thinking about style and kind of playing around with style, but it never really entered my mind that it could be something I could actually do for a career. And so my traditional path, if you will, of career was I went to college in New Orleans and then went on for a master's degree at at Boston College, which is what brought me to BC or to the Boston area. And went into higher education immediately after following my degree. And I had a really long, wonderful career in higher ed. I, again, non-traditional, lots of different roles based on my various interests. But one thing about higher ed was, and I don't think this is any big secret that, you know, it wasn't the field where you were going to make a lot of money right away. So I needed, right. I needed supplemental income. And so I was looking for different jobs that would allow me to have some flexibility and, you know, something that could be fun and different. And so I went the retail path and found, I got a job at anthropology, which for anybody that knows that brand, it is a really beautiful store with lots of different inspiration 
And Anthro, interestingly enough, was one of the first uh, stores. This was in the early 2000s. Uh, one of the first stores that had in-store stylists before kind of a lot of the, now a lot of flagship stores had it like a Neiman Marcus or kind of the high-end specialty stores. But anthropology really kind of had a niche in that. And so I worked at the store at a time where they had sort of one dedicated stylist in the store. And I just for luck's sake, I happened to work a lot during the same shifts that she did. And so I got to watch her sort of make her way through and build this really loyal client base that would come and shop with her. And it was just really fun to kind of mm -hmm. be exposed to somebody who like did this. And then also, I know she maintained some independent clients on the side. And so, gosh, I think back now, nearly 20 years, and I'm like, isn't that so interesting that that's sort of where the seed was planted. And literally over the next 20 years, I have been evolving into this path of being a wardrobe consultant and now doing it full time. And it's funny because I had always sort of been like the resource to friends or, you know, my family would call and be like, come help me with it. Right. So those were always natural instincts, I think for me. And I think when I really made the leap to do this, and I'll tell you, we'll go into this probably at another time, but like, again, it wasn't a, like I decided one day the light flip, you know, switch the flip and flip the switch rather. And all of a sudden it was like, I was doing it. There was mm -hmm. a lot of starting and stopping and getting through to that place. But as you so eloquently talked about, we, we have had you know, I've had a lot of different careers. I had this path in higher ed. I did a corporate gig for three years that I really truly believe was my launching pad to help me get where I am today. And lo and behold, I'm now a full-time wardrobe consultant with my own business. So it's been this like very funny as you think <laughs> about all the little breadcrumbs that have been all over the place leading me to this path. Absolutely. I love that. And I, and I resonate so strongly with the breadcrumbs and kind of non-traditional approach because that's my background too is not at all in this but as you mentioned that's where friends and family and colleagues would come to me for advice and so I think starting to recognize where those natural instincts are what people are already asking you about and something you genuinely enjoy doing and that you've been able to make that your own. So that's amazing. So thank you for sharing yeah. that story. And as you mentioned too, I definitely have reached out about that transition and I would love to hear a little bit about how you, how you made that transition, how you started to think about that and perhaps how you prepped ahead mm -hmm. of time to, to do that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I don't know if you resonate with this. I, you know, I, the whole concept of work really I grew up, you know, I'm in my mid forties. And so like, I didn't have this construct of work that explored entrepreneurism mm -hmm. in the same way that I think the current generation might be exposed to. And so work for me was pretty traditional. It was like employer sponsored, you had your benefits, you had your PTO, right? Like you had these frameworks that I just, that's what I knew for work. And I didn't, really think about other avenues that could be right. Like I had access to. And I think the funny part about this whole journey of transitioning was really coming into a mindset and understanding that this was possible for me and not just necessarily because it sounds fun or it, you know, there's lots of different ways that I could approach this, but it was something that really felt very real to me 
because I started to get exposed to this different construct. And I really credit a couple different, you know, kind of places along the way that started to help me understand what it might be like to be my own boss and to own my own company and to facilitate that. And what were the resources I needed to put that into place? So your point about transition, and I'll just say this one quick story. So in 2018, I decided to leave higher education and I didn't have another job lined up. And it was something that I intentionally sort of decided like, this is going to be my year, right? For I'm going to launch MFD style. I'm going to go for it. And I have to tell you, I hadn't done the work that I needed to do to really make it successful. And so for about nine or 10 months, I struggled to really find my way through this thinking like, I could just do this, right? I could just show up and have my own business and figure out a website. And yes, there is something of that nature to this, but there does need to be some, and I don't know that many entrepreneurs really talk about this, that Mm -hmm. there has to be some preliminary steps before you really get it out in the world, right? And I sort of naively was like, I can do this. I don't need to do all the steps. And I learned quickly in that year that I needed to do some work. And it it wasn't even just the the quote unquote planning. It really had a lot to do with my headspace and mm-hmm. my heart space and like where I needed to be emotionally and psychologically and spiritually to prepare myself for what this lifestyle meant. So I hadn't done that. And I think what was beautiful about that time was then in 2019, the company that you and I shared where we met came into my purview and it gave me this opportunity to work remotely. This is even before the pandemic where everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. went into this whole framework, but I entered into this workforce of remote where I had to learn what it was like to do work independently and manage my own schedule. And while I had a boss and a supervisor, that person was not with me day to day. Right. So it gave me this perfect like entree to here's what it might look like to work independently and for yourself. And so then when I decided to really go for it, I had used three years of all sorts of preparation and happy to go into whatever specifics you want, but all sorts of different pieces of preparation to get myself, not just emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically ready, but then those other pieces of sort of the business acumen that I needed to have under my belt so that when 2021 came around, I was ready and I really Mm -hmm. felt ready and it felt like the perfect opportunity and time and I could go for it. And I'm happy to say that that was the right timing and the right decision. Yeah. Oh, that's so good to hear. And, And it clicked for me when you talked about the opportunity to work remote and to be independent because that mindset piece is so, so important. And we'll definitely talk about that more but also that all of a sudden you, you are the boss. And I think that is such a scary piece of entrepreneurship that's not talked about a whole lot that if you don't work one whole day, not because you're sick, not because you need a break, just because like you're, you can't focus or you're wasting time for lack of a better term. The only person who suffers from that is you. And no one's going to be knocking on your door to say, hey, Chelsea, did you get XYZ done today? And for many people who are coming from a traditional workplace, that's that's kind of scary to not yeah. know the metrics that someone else is going to be looking over your shoulder to kind of evaluate your performance mm-hmm. on. And I think that's as someone who I am very like externally motivated. And so for me, that's also, <laughs> that, that's a big 
big transition that I've come to realize as well that I need to I need to be my own boss and find that yeah. motivation for myself. I, I'm glad you said motivation because that is a hundred percent sort of the core aspect in this. And I don't think I knew this about myself until I had the opportunity to not have this everyday external presence to Mm -hmm. monitor and kind of keep me in check or, and it actually, I think really stifled me. And I don't say that with any disrespect to my previous employers or my supervisors, Mm -hmm. et cetera. It was really that I just didn't know how much I craved and needed that independence to make my own choices and to pace my day, how I really needed and wanted to do my work because I'm a reliable person. I will get the work done. I was never worried about not having the discipline. It was always about kind of that amorphous feeling of somebody who is looking over you or responsible for you. Right. And I didn't necessarily need that. The more mature I got in my career path and realized I have enough responsibility and credibility in my own self to motivate myself to do that. And that was a very big turning point for me when I was like, oh, wait a second, this is actually great for me. And again, no disrespect for my former employers, but just this was exactly, I think, what I had needed for probably my whole career. And I just didn't really know it until I did it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the kind of button chair approach versus the here's your work please get it done by this deadline approach, which I do appreciate very much about some of the employers that I've had and, and owning my own business where I do get to set own hours to some extent and we have deliverables to our clients, but mm-hmm. no one is really, you know, making sure that we're at our desk. No one's checking that the mouse is moving so many times doing a day. Not, or, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like none of this, you know, and I think those were the indicators when that type of accountability, which is necessary, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, again, not a discredit to the systems that are in place to keep people accountable. I just realized I don't need any of that anymore. Absolutely. Well, that's a great segue into talking about how you do structure your day and time management. Because again, I think one of the things I love talking about is how everybody structures their day because it's so personal, right? And it's so different for everybody. And to your point now, especially within entrepreneurship and, but also thinking a little bit back to how you were balancing a job and building your business systems and and approaches work best for you. And Mm -hmm. like I said, no right or wrong answer, but I just love to hear what a typical kind of day or week in your life looks like now. Yeah. So there's a couple questions in that. And I think the first about, you know, what does the day-to-day look like? Well, there there is no routine to the day-to-day. And for someone who actually really loves routine mm-hmm. and like predictability, it's very ironic that I'm in this lifestyle because it's very sort of counter to my nature because I, I like predictability. I like to be able to be, be like every Monday, I have an appointment at nine, you know, but there was something actually liberating and letting go of that mindset again, and having this different framework to be able to say, and this is where I go back to the word about pacing, that I could take my work and pace it exactly how I needed and wanted to. And that because we're human changes all the time because things happen in life or in our families and our personal lives. And so things have to adjust. And so my day-to-day is very unpredictable. And I sort of had to learn to come to terms with how 
really wonderful that is. Mm -hmm. And so it, it looks different. Some way I'll give you an example for the last month, let's say Uh, for two weeks of the last month, I've barely been sitting at a computer at a desk. I have been on site with clients and in their homes. These have been larger projects that I got hired for that were bigger and deeper in scope than my sort of traditional, maybe one appointment or two appointment type of thing. So I was working with them on a regular basis over multiple weeks. And this was a couple different clients. And so I might have been with a client four or five hours at a block of the day, and then I'm done. And given my energy levels, which I think I've had to really keep a close like finger on the pulse of, that might be all I do that day. I'm not looking at email. I'm not answering other things. I'm not looking at Instagram, right? And so these other aspects of my work just kind of took a back seat and I mm-hmm. have learned to be okay with that. Like, yeah. okay, I'm not as so uh, present on social media. I haven't sent an email to my subscribers. I haven't. Right. But then other weeks where I've been able to have clients in kind of different pockets of time, where it might be just an hour here, maybe it's virtual, maybe I'm on site, but I'm only with them for an hour and a half. Then I'm able to sort of balance that with some administrative work. I'm filing, you know, my receipts, I'm tracking my mileage, right? Like all the things that you have to kind of keep up with on a regular basis, but it's, it's not predictable. And I've had to really let go of that predictability, that urge for predict and recognize that my schedule sort of responds to what is in front of me at the time. And Mm -hmm. many people might be uncomfortable with that type of lifestyle. (laughs) I fully can respect and understand that, but I have come to really value the fluidity of that kind of lifestyle. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. I was taking notes because I wanted to to touch on so many points that you just mentioned, especially that, that unpredictable piece. And this is something that I talk a lot about with my clients because while I think many of us like that routine, like some structure to our day, it's really hard to build in a Monday that happens and looks the same every single week. And when clients try really hard to force that, I think that's where some of the stress and anxiety comes in because then something goes wrong and it just throws them off entirely versus learning the skills to be able to adapt, to be flexible, to be fluid, to have the plan in place so that they know what to come back to, right? Mm. If you came back from that meeting with a client and you had a little bit of energy, you would probably know what to do, what comes up next, right? Like what, what the plan is, what the next best thing to work on is, but it's just a return place rather than like this forced thing that you feel like you have to do. So I think you really nailed saying that in a way that I think a lot of my clients needed to hear. So that was great. Well, I think if I can offer this too, I think it takes, and I'm not a guru or perfect at this, so please don't misunderstand it. I think it takes a remarkable amount of self-awareness to Mm -hmm. know what you need on any given day. And that again, because we're human, our needs change all the time. And so because we might think, oh, I, I do this often, like I'm a fan of the time blocking concept. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to do X, Y, Z here or there, but on the day of, if I'm not feeling it, or I just don't have the focus, or I need a different something that day, I have to be willing to be flexible with myself again, given there's not a deliverable that I'm responsible for, but mm-hmm. I have to really pay attention to myself and what, because I had someone very wisely tell me when you own your own business, 
you are your most important asset. Mm -hmm. You have to take care of yourself because you are the business, right? You are the product, quote unquote, in helping facilitate what you're offering. And so without great self-care and self-monitoring and awareness and all these other measurables for yourself at play, none of the work will get done. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. And that comes also with trusting yourself mm. to that self-awareness and that self-trust that your energy's a little bit down. You're, you can't, you're having struggling to focus for whatever reason, whatever the case is, you trust that it's going to be a little bit different tomorrow, right? right. It's not catastrophizing it, not letting it overwhelm me, stress. Yeah. I say, okay, well I can, tomorrow's going to be a little bit better. I trust that I can jump back in and get what I need to get done, done, because I'll be a little bit more focused once I've rested, once I've recovered, yes. once I've taken care of this other thing that's taking up a lot of brain space and causing that distraction. So with that self-awareness and that self-trust is so important in that process. Yeah, I, I deeply believe when you are responsive, that you will get those, like you just said, like you will have new inspiration. You will have that energy return. It is not a permanent situation. Exactly. It's just recognizing that that in that moment, you needed something different and giving yourself the permission to say, okay, I, I need to do something different here. Let's pivot. Let's sit, let's rest, let's whatever. And giving yourself the space to do that so that you can come back to your thing, you know, rested and restored. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I've beat myself up about that for a long time. If I had a down day, you just, it becomes this, <laughs> this right. woe is me stressful situation. And, yeah. but and it's just a story we tell just, ourselves, exactly. right? Exactly. Like it's not anything true. It's just this narrative in our own heads. That's great. And well, one of the things we, we've talked about a little bit too is being new at something, mm. especially being new within your business. And you started talking a little bit about this with you know, some of the the patience and practice that comes with learning how to be new. So how have you been approaching being mm. new in, in entrepreneurship and learning new things in your business? I have to give credit to an author. Her name is Emily P. Freeman. And she wrote a book called The Next Right Thing. And this book has a really beautiful undertone of spirituality and many different aspects of psychology that I very much resonate with, but she has a chapter dedicated in the book about being a beginner. And I was so grateful that I read this chapter because it reminded me and her, you know, her real commitment in this chapter is about being a beginner is not something that is often celebrated in entrepreneurship because we are celebrated and we are, we've reached that sort of pinnacle when we're the expert, when we're the one that knows all the things and we are, you know, the leading force and et cetera in our industry. And so there's a lot of credibility and celebration around that sort of high point of knowing everything there is to know. There's very little, especially in the U S culture around what it's like to be at the beginning and everybody starts somewhere, right? Like even the most successful whoever started. And it just was such a great chapter because it it really reminded me of the joy and the blessing that comes with being a beginner, because there's a lot of humility, as I'm sure you can resonate with, and 
facing something that you have never done before, or you don't really have an expertise in, or you don't really know how this works and having to either figure it out for yourself or utilize your resources, leverage other experts who do it much better than I ever could to be able to help me get to a point where I can grow my knowledge and grow my expertise. But I had to start somewhere. And the whole concept of being a beginner as an entrepreneur, I think is really overshadowed because it's okay to start, right? And and for us to have that, for me, I'll say it this way. I had to really claim the space of being a beginner, but recognizing I have expertise in my skill and in what I do, but there are aspects of being an entrepreneur. I am by no means an expert in, so I don't pretend to be. And I have really learned there is great freedom and joy and just claiming that, I don't know, I'm new at this. Let me figure it out. Yeah. I think first, a lot of people getting started is it feels a little embarrassing, right? You don't want people to see that starting point. I know for me, even as I'm started doing interviews for this podcast, I've known everybody that I've interviewed. I'm friends with them. I'm friendly with them. I still break out at times. Every time, no one even sees me on this podcast, but I've trusted and I've learned myself that I know that this is going to get better, right? The only way I'm going to continue to improve is by practicing and by doing these and putting it out into the world and and seeking, proactively seeking that feedback from people. So how have you overcome some of the hesitations Mm. about starting new things and knowing that, especially in entrepreneurship, you have to put it out there. You have to start with the, with that first, whatever it is. You know, when I, when I did this, and I'm sure you can resonate with this, there were people who would reflect back to me about like how brave or how courageous it is to do what I'm doing. And I initially kind of brushed that off like, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. Think I'm brave, whatever. And then I had to really own that it is brave. It Mm -hmm. is courageous to go out and do your own thing and not know how it's going to get received or not know, not have this perfectly laid out plan for how things are going to evolve and go and where success will happen and where failure might happen, that there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability in giving it a try and allowing whatever that's supposed to come up is going to come up. And some of that might be quote unquote failure to help you learn and evolve and grow. And so the whole concept of kind of overcoming your fear and being a beginner and not being afraid to put yourself out there. I often have people ask me about public speaking because I've done a ton of public speaking in my past. They're like, how'd you get to be a good public speaker? And I'm like, I promise you it's, there's no big secret. I practice a lot, right? I have done it a lot. And so I think, is it Malcolm Gladwell that says you have to put in 10,000 hours of something for it to become kind of that natural, right? When you mm-hmm. need to work at something. I promise I've put in 10,000 hours. <laughs> I just have. And so there are things that we have to give ourselves. I go back to that permission thing about we're not going to know all the things. We're not going to have all the expertise. But I do believe if we have a genuine passion and interest and we stay with it, there are ways that we will grow and evolve and we become more comfortable. Like you just said about podcasting, you know, that you will get more practiced at it and it will be so second nature to you. You won't even think about whether you're breaking out in hives or not. And it, 
it's a really fascinating thing. I think about being a human being that we have the capacity for these types of growth in ourselves and we can regulate it. Like we can do it at our own pace and time. So for me, it was always being a little braver than I kind of thought I was (laughs) and recognizing that it's not a big secret. If some things go wrong, I'm not afraid to say like, Oh, okay. I didn't do that. Right. Let me try that again. Right. Or even on social media, pretending like it's not all rainbows and butterflies. I don't know what I'm doing sometimes and I'm figuring it out as I go. So for anybody that perceives it to be this super smooth, you must have it all figured out. Like, no, that's not actually how it goes, but I have a deep trust in both myself, my higher self, you know, that, that there is something working on my behalf that is greater than me, that is helping me move through this in a way that's really for my own benefit and for the benefit of the world. I think that's what I'm trying to do here. So we can't be afraid, (laughs) even though fear is real, but can't be afraid to step into that. Yeah. Well said. I absolutely completely agree with that. And like I said, being ready to be a beginner, taking the feedback with with grace, you know, and, right. and, but also you don't have to take all of it, right. You can, nope. you can reject some of that, what doesn't That's resonate right. or what doesn't feel true to you. And then just being really careful about who and where you get that information to, so you know, to be better. Right. And, and mm-hmm. it's not about being harsh on yourself or anything like that. It's just about looking for opportunities to yeah. improve where you want to. And I think for many entrepreneurs too, is you probably you can't really do it all either, right? Like you said, there's going to be pieces of this that just aren't <laughs> your natural forte. And that's right. going way back to the beginning of this story, for most of us, entrepreneurship isn't something that's presented as a practical or typical career. I have always been a side hustler person yeah. and it didn't really dawn on me until more recently that this could be that's right my full job and I don't have to be working for two jobs my whole life. And so I think that's just such a great place to learn and such wise advice. So thank you so much for sharing that. There's there's something really important in this about learning to trust your own intuitive knowing and not everybody, I believe everyone has intuition. I think not everybody listens to it or learns to understand the language of your own intuition. And so I think I've really spent time trying to not block the voices because those voices can be informative and help you and give you good food for thought and challenge you to think about things in certain ways. But at the end of the day, you really have to go back into your own self and trust like, do I, do I really think that I'm like on point with this? And, and when I get the yes, I'm like, yeah, why am I even listening to like, and if it fails, great. If it doesn't look what I've allowed myself mm-hmm. to go forward with. So I think we have we have this opportunity and it's not even just an entrepreneurship. I think anybody who really is committed to their work in whatever way, their family, their personal lives, like to learn to really understand that voice of who you are inside and to trust it because it's, it's the best guidance you'll get. Yeah. Well, I'd love to transition this Hmm. self-awareness to how you work with clients and how you bring that self-awareness to your journey with a client as, as their stylist. And I mean, we had so much fun and I absolutely love working with you, but I'd love to get behind the scenes of what that looks like from your end. Mm -hmm. 
And I think something for me that is important to know about me is that I have a very strong individualism type of streak in me. For anybody that knows the Gallup Strengths Finder, yeah. one of my top five strengths is individualization. And so I have a very strong perception that no two people are alike and everyone has different needs. Everyone needs an opportunity to get in touch with who they are at their own core and have that expressed in whatever way feels authentic to them. And so as a stylist, I think a lot of people come into it with the perception that I'm there to show them how to dress like me or to emulate me in some way. And maybe that happens. I don't, I don't really know for sure, but that's never my goal. That's not my intention. My intention is to help people see themselves the way that I'm interpreting and seeing them and checking to make sure there's accuracy there. Like, is the way that we're receiving you how you want to be received? Are the messages that you want to say with your clothing, the messages you want people to hear, right? Like, so there's an important language that happens with with our wardrobe and our clothing and who we are. And part of my job with clients is to help uncover some of that with them and to give them some of the, sometimes it's just giving them the language of certain select words or phrases or images that they're like, yeah, that's the look or that <laughs> feels like me, right? And so there's an identification there that perhaps they haven't had before and they get to then really embrace it and really take it on and are super excited and motivated about like, oh, I want to, I want to rock that now. I want to feel that energy of identification with my style. And there's all sorts of psychology I can go into about what that does as a ripple effect for you and how you live your life. But the truth of my work, I think is really about helping people uncover and maybe sometimes remember who they are and how that can then be manifested in their style and in their wardrobe choices. And that to me is every single time is different. Mm -hmm. So there's not a, yes, there are methods and approaches that I take that are replicated, but the, the actual process <laughs> with each person looks totally different every time. Oh, that's so fun. I love that the individual approach that we took as I'm in such a weird yeah. situation, being in a very tropical climate, having this weird kind of hybrid work situation of having to look put together every day and wanting to look put together right. every day, but living ultimately in a very casual place. And so I think what was most helpful was really just those questions that you talked mm -hmm. about, taking the time to really think through the answers to those questions of what I'm trying to say, how I'm trying to say it, and what's going to be practical and true for me in this point of my life, knowing right. that it could change. It probably change. will. That's um, right. But here, here's what's going to work for me right now. And, yeah. and so style I, evolves. And style, right? yep. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that's an important point of knowing that when we work together, there can be iterations of how it looks. And that's why having long-term clients is really important to me because I get to build on those previous iterations of your style. And sometimes you want to embrace and explore more and go deeper and experiment. And other times you want to abandon certain things. And it's like, yeah, all that's fair game. Mm -hmm. So it's lovely when I have those relationships to be able to, to, you know, reference back and to talk through how those evolve with people. And that to me is one of the really most fun ways about like style does not have to be static, nor should it be. Mm-hmm.
Absolutely. Lori, I could talk to you for hours <laughs> and we may have to do a part two of this, but before we, before we wrap up, I do want to make sure that people know how to get in touch with you. And then I have some kind of fun rapid fire questions for the end. So cool. I'd love for you to share with folks, what's the best way for them to connect with you. And this will yeah. be all be in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you, of course, for having me. And I'm really excited that if anybody is interested in the work that I do, the best ways to find me are probably threefold. The first is I'm pretty active on Instagram when I'm not on site with my clients <laughs> all day long, but you can find me at E underscore style. And I post there pretty regularly. I do stories, etc. You can find me on the web at mfdstyle.com. And I likewise to you also have a podcast. So you can listen to me at above and beyond style. I'm available on all major podcasting platforms and it's also available right there on my website. So you can listen. I am actually just about to launch season two. So depending on when this airs, yeah, Yeah. you will, you can dig into season one already, but maybe season two will already be out in the world for you to listen to. Perfect. And I just want to let everybody know that obviously Leah does remote work since I am (laughs) in a different country. She will do it all remote and still, it's still absolutely valuable and a lot of fun. So thank you so much for sharing that information. All right. So my quick kind of rapid fire fun questions at the end here. Are you a morning person or a night person? Uh, Funny enough, I'm both. (laughs) I love to stay up late and I love an early morning because there's productivity that could be had, but it really depends on my sleep patterns. (laughs) I understand. Paper and pen or all digital for planning and to-dos? Oh gosh, you're going to think I'm ridiculous, but both, Mm -hmm. I really do both because the weekly like paper planning is very helpful when I'm literally sitting at the desk and I have that, but the digital goes with me. So Mm -hmm. if I need to make appointments with clients or I'm able to track my timesheets with clients using notes or, you know, different things in the digital space. So it's really both. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to have both Yeah. in in this day and age, but I, I still appreciate the, the pen and paper approach. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what is your favorite way to relax? Can I have two things? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so my first would probably be, I love a good hot bath. Like mm. just love to just soak in, chill. I don't even need to read or do anything. I just want to sit there. And I do love like long walks and I love it when it's super breezy. I am an Aquarian. So I love, I'm an air sign. So there's like a need for air to be moving around me at all times. So I really love a good breezy walk. That's great. Have you been able to do that with the heat this summer? You know, not as often. I did do it the other day because it was blissfully, the humidity had broken. So it was much better here, but it's harder, you know, when the, as you know, deep in the humidity, it's difficult to be out there when it's like a sauna. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different different kind of walk at the end mm-hmm. of that. You have to be prepared. That's <laughs> true. Exactly right. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And like I said, I, I encourage my listeners to go check you out. And maybe there'll be a part two. Because like I said, we had a lot to talk about. And it was it was absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for enjoying another episode of From Overwhelm to Under Control. I hope you're feeling one step closer to your goals. Don't forget to check out the show notes and follow along on Instagram at Chelsea and Coaching. Talk to you soon.